0: So it was great. Now, Thursday, I um, I started this message. Really, it's not a message. It's more of a word that I have in my spirit for you. And um, the Lord gave it to me. And by the way, <laughs> Thursday nights, I, I, Sundays are great. Don't miss Sunday ever. Don't, because it's like it's like you got to have your food, right? And God's moving. But Thursday nights, y'all, it's unhinged. It is unhinged. I don't care if you get off at seven o'clock. Get in your car and just get here, and God will meet you. And I mean, we we didn't know God was going to do what He did, but He did something powerful in our midst. And the Spirit of God's moving, and people are coming in the middle of the summertime. They're coming in Thursday night, and then um, out of nowhere, we had no idea. Uh, Danny Goki and his family showed up, and they were here out of nowhere. So what I did was I decided to go ahead and put him to work. Come on, someone say Amen and he got up here and worked a little bit and, and just had a great time and and the lord spoke to me see it was like a sign to me it's like a sign to me because the lord spoke to me while I was praying and he said to me that um, he said that that there're going to they're be services like that where the unexpected or the unusual is going to show up. not just his presence but people personalities people are going to come into this place and there'll be no time to advertise it whatsoever you just got to show up to get it. And whoever's here is just going to get blessed. And the person that's giving a message or that's going to be ministering on, whatever you're going to be ministering on that night, is just gonna be, they're going to be double blessed. And that's the reason why they're going to want to come because they want to get blessed too. And as they're blessing you, they're getting blessed and everybody's getting blessed and God's getting all the glory for it. But I'm here to tell you, that's the day we live in. The day of advertising for six weeks and hoping somebody will show up, that's over. Jesus is the star of this show. And if you'll just show up, I'm I'm preaching already, and I don't even mean to. It's an introduction. So I got a word, and the Spirit of God spoke to me last week, and I shared this with the church. I'm going to share it with you today. I shared with them on Thursday. I'm going to share it with you today. He showed me this. He showed me in prayer when I had this encounter with him. He showed me that thousands were coming into this church. He said he was sending a wind to blow out to the north, the south, the east and the west of the city-state and beyond, and they will hear the moving of God, the stirring of the waters, that He would draw them in with the breath of his mouth, and that this house would be known as a place of restoration to my wounded warriors, my broken-hearted people, my people who thought that I had abandoned and forgotten about them. They're coming, son. Lazarus is coming, and by my spirit you will raise them from the dead. Take off their grave clothes. Take off the things that bind them and wash the stench of the death off of them for the washing of the water of my word, says the Lord. Come on, somebody. Everybody say, Lazarus, Lazarus is, coming. is coming. And then I gave John five twenty four, where Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead, come on, Lazarus, when the dead, come on, back, sudden Christian, when the dead, those who need some healing and restoration, will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who will hear will live. I need a little more help in the AM service today. We need God's restoration. Come on, somebody. And the Lord told me to take my text from Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse eleven, and again I'm just backing up for just a moment, we're gonna move on. It says this and the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up heaven there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land. In other words, bad stuff happening. Or send pestilence among my people. In other words, when light gets turned upside down. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. Everybody say turn. Turn. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. John the Baptist, an unusual person, grew up in an unusual way, with an unusual family, unusual circumstances, brought about his birth in the first place, because Elizabeth was old, his mother was old, but yet God gave a promise to her that she would have a son. He would call his name John. That John would have a special message to the world from the throne of God. It's not easy carrying a word from God when everybody else doesn't understand what you're saying, but you've got to give it anyways. And he would be the one to usher in the next move of God, known as the Messianic move, known as the Son of God. But God always looks for somebody in the earth that he can trust with his word. That was speaking forth with boldness. And this man was born into a, this family that was unusual. It was a priestly family. His father was Zacharias the priest. Everybody knew him. He was a priest. That meant that John's lineage would be in that, that, in that order of a priesthood. He would be next in line, become a priest. And no doubt, I'm sure his father wanted that for him. But the Father God had other plans for John. He wanted to usher in something new. Something the world had never seen before. And so he, he was brought up in this priestly household. Zechariah raised him, and Elizabeth raised him. And when Jesus was, was in the womb of Mary, and Mary was the cousin of Elizabeth. And when the babies met together, they were both in the womb. And when Jesus walked into the room, the Bible says John leapt on the inside of the womb of Elizabeth, announcing that the one I'm going to be preaching about has just walked in. And got excited. That's why I don't believe people you just sit back. When God touches you, honey, everything in your body, you want to give him all the praise. Yeah. Amen. And so he wasn't a fit-in priest. He wasn't even a fit-in prophet. He was unique. He was different. Most people spend their whole lives trying to fit in. John spent his whole life always being the one who stood out you got to have some courage to do that. you got to know who you are to do that. John was powerful. But he preached a very, very simple message. But the most powerful of all messages, the one that God chose to speak. And God hadn't spoken hundreds of years, but decided to speak through John. And that message was, repent! For the kingdom of heaven has at hand. Repent! And he wore his clothes different than everybody else. Camel's hair. And some theologians believe he wore it inside out. Camel's hair will irritate your skin, but he didn't care. Lived in the hills and the crags of the rocks, not in the township. Ate locusts and wild, he was a wild man. Living on the fringes, literally living on the fringes of society. Literally living, humanly living that way, not just spiritually speaking. And it was there that God birthed his ministry out of John. A standout, not a fit in. I don't know about you, but I don't want to continue to fit in with the masses of people that are going to hell in a handbasket. I want to stand out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may hate my name on earth, but my name is loved in heaven. Repent. Today's church doesn't know hardly anything about repentance. We know a lot about the best music and Kurt Franklin and everyone else. Best speakers, T.D. Jakes and he's wonderful. We even know about the gifts of the spirit. But we know very little about turn from your wicked ways. That's what repentance means. It means to turn. You're going one way. Can you make a decision? I can't keep going this way because I'm coming to a precipice. I'm coming to the edge of myself. I got to turn immediately and go the other way. Someone said, that's a 360. No, honey, a 360 is like this. That's the problem. People turn it, but they keep turning. They get to just turn one direction and move in it. Come on, somebody. Everybody say, turn. John came. His message was simple but profound. The only thing that needed to be said was repent. Return, repent, penthouse, return to the top. Church, I'm not here to tickle your ears. I am not here to make you happy. I hope I do, but that's not my objective. I'm not here to preach eloquently. There's better preachers than me. I'm not here to put on a performance so I can pull on those emotional cords of you and get you to do what I feel you need to do. That's manipulation. I'm here to let you know that some of the things you're doing are not right. And it's time to get them right with God. That's the message God sent me here right now. That's the word he gave me when I had an encounter. He said, get my people to turn from their wicked ways. Get my people out of the world. I'm coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. not an easy message to preach because I'm not talking about how good you are and how awesome you are and everybody's so great and wonderful and awesome you suck you're just not that good come on forgive me so do I on our best day on our best day we can't live good enough without him As a preacher, I've been called by God and not called by you. I can't listen to you. If you amen me one, that's great. I like it. I love it. If you don't, I still got to tell you the truth. You didn't vote me in, so you can't vote me out. You can't butter me up, and you can't buy me out. I answer to God, and I have to stand and give an account of my ministry before the Lord. We know what John's message was, and it was clear. Turn, repent, change. Turn, repent, change. Most American Christians wouldn't want to go to John's church. We want to go to that church down the street that's got a 45-minute program. Lights and smoke and good singing. Come on, somebody. Got a great place to put my kids in the back, you know. They get the best of everything. Get them, give, give them pizza, but not Peter, James, and John. Come on, somebody. Amen. Come on, somebody. And we babysit them and don't teach them the truth of God's word. And people sit up and we're t- say we're preaching the gospel. And what we're doing is nothing but man's religion. We're preaching how good people are and how wonderful they are. And you are. And it's good. But I'm here to tell you, that's not the end of it all. At some point, we gotta figure out we're in a bad place with God. At some point, we gotta figure out I'm not right with the King. At some point, I gotta figure out my life, turn from my wicked ways. Wicked means to twist together. It's where we get our word wicker. Wicker, weaving things together. You said a wicker basket before, or a wicker chair? It's the weaving of elements together. It's the weaving. Wickedness is weaving of the world and God's kingdom, weaving of your sin and the Spirit of God. You can't have both, you gotta make up your mind. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you need to change in order for God to walk into your life and bless you? God's always required something of you. Always something. Look, church, my life is too important for me not to change. Is yours so important? Is it that important to you? You have to be willing to say, God, I'll work for it. I'll pay, pray for it. I'll give for it. I'll labor for it. I'll give up sleep for it. I'll give up friends for it. I'll walk away from opportunities for it. I'll trouble my life for it. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I want him in my life more than anything else. Why? He's a jealous God. This God is an all-consuming God. And when he gets a hold of you, you'll be all consumed by him. On fire for the almighty. How do you know you're consumed by God? When you wake up in the morning, he's on your mind. How do you know you've been consumed by God? When he's the first one you consider before making any decisions. How do you know you're consumed by God? When your desires are in line with his desires. When you're more engaged with him than you are with other relationships and other things. That's how you know you're consumed by God. When I came back to Jesus, I backslid for seven years of my life. And I came back in 1989 I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I knew I would never go back again. I knew he had saved me to the bone and that I was saved to the core. I knew it. And I was so in love with him, and I still am. And I was so thankful. And I knew I had to leave my family. And I told my wife, we were either growing, I can't remember, somewhere together, driving or at some restaurant together. And I said, honey, I love you. And I will love you all the days of your life. And I am responsible to take care of you. But I will never love you more than God. You'll never be first place in this household. God is number one in this household. Some of y'all can't even clap like, because you don't even have a, your relationship ain't there yet. But when you got a relationship that's consumed by God, he's got to be number one and everything else is just a close second. That's why we need men leading their families again we got to turn. Come on, man. Man, you got to turn. It's time for you to stand up. Quit being a bully and start leading your family in righteousness and the ways of God. Quit saying to your woman, just do it because I said so. Honey, that ain't enough. You need to have a mission of God and have a purpose from God. And say, so the Lord spoke to me last night. I was praying for seven hours, and the Lord said, this is what you got to do for your family. Honey, I beg you, follow me as I follow God. You don't think she'll do it? She will do it. She's looking for leadership. It's time to turn. Time to turn. And that's how you show what you value. When you're willing to give up something important to you in order to get it. That's when you know you value it. When you study out the life of John the Baptist, you'll find out the kind of people that he attracted. He attracted the misfits, the broken, the hurting, the disenfranchised, the ones who needed the help or the hope the most. It was the church folk. It was the religious people. They were the ones who said that they were seeking for the Messiah And when he showed up, they had no clue of who he was. Not only did they have a clue of who he was, but went the other way and sought not only to reject him, but to kill him. Jesus did not have an easy life. We sing words and we pray songs and we say, I want to be like Jesus. Do you really want to be like Jesus? To be like Jesus is to be hated. To be like Jesus is to be persecuted. To be like Jesus is to be told lies on. To be like Jesus is to get spat on. To be like Jesus is to be rejected. Jesus was the ultimate man living for the ultimate God and showing us the ultimate lifestyle of sacrifice, blessing, and reward. We get afraid, we get upset because people, we can't even get people to come to church two times a month. There's people at this church that say they love God with all their heart, ready for a move of God, but they're at state fair. I got to tell the truth. And so now elephant ears are more important than your communion with Jesus Christ. Playing games are more important. Oh, you could go. You could have went after church. And I'm preaching to the ones that are here. So I love you all. I mean, yeah, I love them too, but I got to tell the truth. Half-hearted Christianity is over in the name of Jesus. Oh, it'll always be there, but in this church, we're not going to put up with it. We want people that are committed, on fire, ready to do whatever it takes, passionately serving God. No more passivity. Believing God with all their hearts. They say they want to be like Jesus. Won't come out two times a month. Say they want to be like Jesus. Won't come to pray for an hour at 5.55 on Sunday. Say they want to be more like Jesus. Won't go to serve the city on Saturday because it's too much work, too hot. I love, I, keep, I love my Saturdays. We all do. We all do. We're not doing this out of comfort or convenience. We're doing this out of commandment. Man, I, you ought to write. Somebody tweet that. Somebody, that was good. Write that down. You didn't even write nothing. You didn't even say nothing. Say it to me back. How did That That was good. We're not doing it out of comfort or convenience, but out of commandment. Come on, somebody. The three C's, come on. I won't be able to do this a second time. This first service is hot, man. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And to one of the sons, he says, I want you to go now into my vineyard and work. And the son said, no. I said, well, he did not have a five-foot Italian mother. I'll tell you that right now. Because if I would have told my mother no, come on, y'all. She would have slapped me on one side of my cheek and slapped me on the other side of the cheek so I could turn my head. The second son, he said, I want you to go on my field and work my vineyard. And he said, yes, but he didn't do it. The first came back to his father and repented and went into the field. And Jesus said, which of these sons did the will of the father? Here's the question, which one are you? Come on. It's easier to see what's wrong with someone else. But when you turn, you turn back to God, all you can see is you. Which one are you? Are you the one that says yes and doesn't do it? Or are you the one that shoots a no and go, well, Lord, that ain't right. Forgive me. This story is based on relationship. Although they were sons, the father asked them to do the work of a hired servant, a hired hand. And a hired hand gets paid at the end of the day for their labor. But this father said, I know you're my son. And I know you're not hired labor. But I want you to obey me anyways. And I want you to get out in that field like I'm telling you and go to work with no pay. Why did he say that? He was saying, I've already invested in you. Did not the Father send Jesus Christ? Isn't he enough for our life that made the payment of the penalty of sin? And so when the Father says, I want you to do something, you don't do it for the payment. You do it out of the obedience because he's my Father. Look, we want the benefits, but we don't want the labor. We don't want to pay the price. Remember the first son said no, but he knew it wasn't right. He knew he had to repent and he went to the father and he got it right. He is the one who did the will of the father. But there was another son and another story that Jesus talked about called the prodigal son and most of you know it better than I can tell it. But he had two sons, the father had two sons and to one the son came to the father and said, please give me my inheritance now that I may go and live it He takes his son aside and says, sure, son, it's yours. Give it to you. And he goes and takes it, spends it on partying and riotous living and getting out there in the world and doing whatever he wants to do. And he loses everything. All his friends leave him. He ends up in a pig's pen, this son. And the man says to himself, he says, my God, there's the farmer feeding the pigs. The pigs eat better than I do. Then he started thinking, if I could just have a little bit of that pig food, I'd be okay. At least it was stay same for a day. It stinks, but at least I won't starve to death. He went from living the blessed life to living a cursed life. All because he moved out of the graces of his father. He wanted to go do his own thing, live his own way. Didn't want dad telling him what to do anymore. And as a result of that, ends up in a pig pen. And just like this, everything changes, but just like this, the Bible says he came to himself. When you turn back to God, all you see is you. You don't see anybody else. You don't blame anybody else. You just see you. And he came to himself. And he said, I have to go back. I've got to repent to my dad. I, I was wrong. I did this wrong. And I can never get back in his graces. I'm not even going to ask to get back in his graces. If you just take me as a hired servant, they get fed better, and taken care of better than I do. And so he goes, thinking he's just going to be a servant if his dad will just forgive him. And his father sees him from afar and runs to his son, doesn't wait for the son to come to him. God loves it when we return to him. He loves it when we turn back and say, I need you. And he doesn't wait for you to grovel. The moment you do it, he comes on the scene and he grabs and embraces his son and kisses his neck and saying son what brings you home boy he said i was wrong dad i blew it i messed up would you ever forgive me i sinned against you and against heaven he said son i forgive you come and he takes off his own robe and puts it on his son takes off his ring off his finger and puts it on his son takes off his sandals puts it on his son takes him back and walks him back to the house he said look everybody look who came home Look who was dead, but now is alive, was lost, but now is found. My boy is back. There can be no revival until you turn, there can be no blessing until you turn, until you repent. Jesus could not have had the ministry he had until John came on the scene and said, look, God's about to come in an unusual way. Signs, wonders, and miracle and the salvation of mankind could not have happened. He said, what we've got to do is we've got to return to God and repent. You want God back in your life? Turn back to him. You draw near to God. God, the Bible says, you draw near to him. He draws near to you. Just like that first son, the father doesn't want your lip service. He doesn't want you saying yes and then walk out the door and do whatever the heck you want to do. He said yes, but he was unwilling to change. Look at Matthew 15 says in verse 7. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Where's your heart? You say yes to him. I'll do anything you ask. But you say no to loving your neighbor. No to forgiving that person that wrongs you. No to giving your tithe and offering. Knowing the church needs you. No to giving your time. No to holding your tongue. No to prayer. That's not on me, guys. i got to deal with that myself. It's on you as well. I come from the old school. Where I was taught, whenever the Lord comes to you, you say, yes, Lord, here am I. Just as was said, it was well spoken of Isaiah, that when the Lord came to him, he said, here am I, Lord, speak. I come from the old school. Where people will get on their face before God and tears and snot roll down their chin. And be on the floor for an hour or two saying, Lord, forgive me, use me. I want you to touch my life. I can't get off this floor the same way. I can't get off this floor knowing I still got all this stuff on me. I need your help. I come from the old school where you used to have prayer meetings come on that lasted all night long. I come from the old school where you called people forward and said get right with God and they would get right with God. I come from the old school where you laid hands on people and they actually got healed and delivered. I come from the old school where you casted out a devil and that devil had to obey you. If we want the power of God to come to America. If we want the power of God to come to our house. If we want the power of God in our church service. We got to go back to God. There's something wonderful that God wants to do in your life. But he can't do it at your current level of service.